Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Football aside, obviously, it's not been a particularly good um, season, I guess. I was going to say particularly good week or two weeks or last 24 hours or something, but, you know, it's not been a good season. And now it's over. There are still four games in the Premier League, but let's face it, the end is here. We went... Out of the Europa League last night with a tepid, uninspiring, unenergetic, nil-nil draw with Villarreal that lacked the kind of energy and intensity and occasion that you would expect from a game like this, a performance like this. It was not good. We had a couple of moments, but really the football we played over the two legs Nobody can say we deserve to be in the Europa League final. And nobody could say, based on that, that if we were somehow to win that Europa League final, we would have been worthy of Champions League football. I know that would have been the outcome, and I would have taken it and grasped it with both hands, but sometimes you reap what you sow, and we sowed the seeds of nothingness with a performance that, I don't know, raises many questions. Many questions about what happens next, Why can't we play on big occasions? Why can't we play on small occasions? I know there are factors, like, you know, fans would have made a difference, but Villarreal didn't have fans in their first leg at home. So, you know, these things work both ways. There are no excuses for the way we played last night. There are no excuses for the season that we've had. It's been way, way, way below the standards that uh, are acceptable for Arsenal Football Club, even if you accept that there are mitigating factors, that there are um, things to sort out and things to rebuild and that it is going to be a bit of a slow process. And I I use that word in its uh, true sense rather than the sort of Arsenal meme sense at the moment. You know, this squad and this group of players may not be perfect, but I think it's better than what we've seen this season. It should certainly be way above mid-table. We should have, at the very least, been competitive against Villarreal, and we weren't. And look, you can't go through a season like this without there being a post-mortem, where you ask what happened, why did it happen, and what happens next? And who decides what happens next? And when should it happen? Or, you know, look, there are so many things that we can discuss and things that we will discuss on this particular show. So I think I'll just park the kind of uh, 
the, the, the build-up commentary to this and just get on with the discussion and welcome our guest. First up, Tayo Papula. Hi, Tayo. Hi, mate. How are you? Uh, <laughs> what well, a silly question, but hello. <laughs> let's, let's just go for that. Yeah, let's go for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, introspection can come later. And also with us, Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Tyro, can I start with you? Um, uh, we have... Uh, all of us, I think, as Arsenal fans, uh, a breadth and depth of experience um, of things going wrong and also imaginations. And I could envisage a number of ways in which Arsenal went out of the Europa League to an Unai Emery team. I didn't quite expect it to be as tepid and magnolia as it was last night. And then there's another part of me that thinks, well, you've watched Arsenal all season long. Am I just stupid for not thinking that this was the kind of performance we could produce? No, I mean, that's what Captain Hindsight's for, but you're totally right. Um, I think there's been a general, with good reason, there's a general feeling that when the time comes, we'll step, you know, we'll step up. It will be different. You keep thinking it will be different. How many times have we heard, because we're Arsenal, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, and it's, but so, to, so afterwards, having gone out in such a way, it is so unbelievably frustrating and makes perfect sense the day after. But yeah, like ha- watching it happen in slow motion. You know, like when I was thinking, you know, when you're having a dream, have you ever had, tried to have a fight in a dream? Mm. And you just can't, you can't know, you, punch. Like, you can't punch. And you're watching yourself not being able to punch. And it's just really, really mm. frustrating. And that's sort of how I felt yesterday. I couldn't believe it was happening. I couldn't believe they couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't believe that we couldn't do anything about it. And it just felt so helpless. And as you say, really, really beige. Slow motion is a really good way of putting it, Tim, isn't it? Because you look for, and just to sort of put the context on this, we are going to discuss the game a little bit, but then broaden it out to the wider issues and and the consequences of the game. So um, slow motion seems about right because there was nothing in that first half. There wasn't much in the first leg, you know, to, to play three uh, halves of a game or three quarters of two games or whatever way you want to put it. I'm confusing myself here, but you know what I mean? 45 minutes and another 45 minutes and another 45 minutes where, you know, it's pretty toothless. Um, you, you can't really expect to go through when you when you waste that much of a tie. No, indeed. And and that's been a theme of the, the run in the knockouts, really, where usually we waste the first leg somehow and then pull it back mm. um, and do the hero football in the second leg. And you always had the the impression that that wasn't going to cut mustard come semi-final time and that we were going to, and definitely not uh, in a perspective final either because the quality of the opposition goes up. And yeah, slow motion is, is a great way of putting it. I mean, of the 180 minutes of the tie, I'd say generously maybe VRL controlled 150 minutes of it mm. um, whether it was the first leg because they were creating chances and looked the better team or the second leg where they just had us at arm's length I, I don't think I think half an hour of the entire tie is probably quite a generous um, approximation of, of how much of the tie we really looked dangerous and um, it's it, what what was quite depressing about it is I I kind of um, I rushed the column out this week for Wednesday because I wanted it before the game and um, at the risk of kind of self-aggrandizing here it's all there um, the the torturously slow build up the failure to put teams under pressure the the under prioritizing of things like um, having shots on goal taking players on getting the ball in the area. Um, versus kind of really 
intensely choreographed pattern play that takes an absolute age to get into the final third and 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 we just um we didn't stress Villarreal at any point and I think that's what really depressed me about last night I think when you watch a lot of football you you pick up like an emotional intelligence um for it sometimes that emotion often that emotion can cloud your judgment but I think you get a real feel for a game and after about 20 minutes I thought to myself right this is either going to have to be another penalty Pepe is going to have to spank one in from 30 yards or Aubameyang is going to have to pull something out of his arsehole um, out of nothing. And mm. only one of those things nearly happened. Yeah, I mean, we did have a couple of near misses, Tayo, with, with Aubameyang hitting the post in the uh, first half and then hitting the post in the second half. The kind of chance that had it happened up the other end would unquestionably have bounced off the post off the back of Leno's head and gone in. So I'm not, you know, putting it down to bad luck or anything like that. But Arteta's anguish at those missed chances, I think, is quite telling, not simply because they're missed chances. And I think this is something that Tim has touched on uh, in his columns and and elsewhere as well. Um, You know, simply missed chances like that feel so much worse when you know they're so few and far between in games. No, hundred percent. I think, um, it, and it feels it feels like we're doing ourselves. Um, uh, it feels like we're making ourselves feel better by saying we had the. Ch-, you know, you hear Arteta mm. saying we had the chances to win this. One of them was, you know, um, complete opportunism from. Um, and I just, I think it fell to him. It fell to him after a corner for yeah. the first one off the post. Um, and okay, albeit um, one of Bladerin's crosses found some some something like the right position for the second one. Mm. But um, yeah, the Smith Rowe one so early on, again, there's two, there's, there's a two halves, Tim talks about emotional intelligence. There's two halves of my Arsenal brain at work. There's the, there's, there's the one that says, we'll get some more chances because we're Arsenal. Mm. And, but there was the other one really and truly is, as you say, Tim, with, 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 with um, Smith Rowe's kind of scoop chance before you, it felt there's so much more weight on that one as well, because, we were so uh, sort of positive of chances up front. The positive just over the 180 minutes of um, chance creation was just so, w- w- was so, so depressing. And the fact that, you know, our only thing to show for this is, uh, is, is, is Saka winning the penalty in the first half. It just felt as time went on that you're looking at, there could have been 10 minutes extra time. I wouldn't have had that, no. that lift that we, that, that we've had like from 72 minutes. I remember looking at the clock at 72 minutes and just thinking normally again, you'd think I've got, we've got 20 minutes here to, to go barnstorming, but we're also talking about very tired players who are very confused and tired players. And there just did not seem to be any kind of impetus um, for that last 20 minutes. So yeah, every single half chance and they never, they never felt like really big chances mm. still. And that in itself is depressing as well with so much at stake. Yeah. I mean, especially considering the, the state of their goalkeeper who was like coming oh, and flapping words. and punching and like bailed out by his defenders time and time again, you know, so a goalkeeper like that, who we really failed to trouble and put any pressure on over the course of two legs is, is really something. But Tim, where do you stand on the, you know, it's difficult to talk about intangibles, um, but 
when we use words like energy and intensity and urgency, some people might say, well, that's got nothing to do with it. You can't measure those, so you can't really talk about them. But I think you can. I think you can mm-hmm. look at a performance and you can say there wasn't the right urgency. There wasn't the energy. There wasn't the intensity. There wasn't the drive. There wasn't the bravery on the ball. All of those things which, look, you can't measure them in stats. There are no optometrics uh, for, for you know, X urgency and all that kind of stuff. But there's still important factors in a football game. And I know people will say, look, part of it is because you don't have fans. And look, if you have fans in the stadium, I think it creates a different dynamic. But, you know, that's something that both teams have had to contend with over the course of, of two legs. It feels to me really like, you know, Arteta is a meticulous guy. He's he's full of ideas and he's got, you know, I don't I don't feel like this team went into this game underprepared. Like they didn't work mm. on as much as possible on the training ground. Is it possible that they are simply suffocated by too many ideas that that things have to work within a certain structure or a certain pattern and any deviation from that is it feels like uh, the players aren't really willing to take risks outside of those patterns. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's perfectly valid. Um, and we can see it in his selections. Um, up before last night, Pepe had only played 30 minutes more than Willian mm. this season. Um, what does that tell you? Um, look, at, <laughs> look, at, look at Martinelli, for example. And on one hand... I think it's been right to be patient about Martinelli. He's just come off of a, of a long injury. He's young. We do actually have, and this is another thing that, that I find a bit depressing. I do actually think we have a reasonably good attack. Like I look at the squad and I think talent-wise, that's top-heavy. Um, that There's quite a lot of attackers there. And someone like mm. Willett, like if by some miracle we could get rid of Willian this summer, I don't think we need to sign anyone to replace him. I think the players are already there and he's clogging things up, frankly. And so, I'd, you know, you look at the treatment of some of the players who who perhaps are a little bit more instinctive, a little bit more improvisational, even Aubameyang, um, who isn't necessarily in... Well, he is an instinctive player, but in a different way. It's mm. not in the build-up, it's in the penalty area. But you can see that Arteta, you can see what Arteta's preferences are. And that that's kind of fine as long as it works. And uh, it, it's, quite, it's quite strange, really, because we've, as Arsenal fans, we've craved more structure for probably more than a decade we've been thinking oh my god we need some structure to this like the the free like the free form jazz football is great when it works but there needs to be a bit more and we've done that thing that a lot of teams do when they've got a problem and they kind of go too far the other way and I feel like we're in that we, we've long since reached that zone where we've gone too far the other way and you can see you can see why the players responded to it at first because it was an antidote to to Emery, which became really structureless and a different formation every week. But this ultimately, like Arteta's just been sucked into this Arsenal black hole. Um, I think the same way Emery was, where he came in with an idea, probably thought, mm, maybe I don't have the players to do this. And he's been switching ever since and, and frankly flailing um, mm. a little bit ever since. But look, if you want to like win leagues and get in the top four and things like that, you've got to be scoring goals in the treble figures in a season. And we are you you can't you can't score the perfect goal every time. There has to be room for something else other than like one very intensely choreographed way of scoring goals. 
Taya, we talked about the disruption before the game, and obviously um, Granit Xhaka was penciled in to start and didn't because he picked up an injury in the warm-up. And, and he, he sort of spoke afterwards about how how disruptive that was. And look, it's never easy to lose a player who's, you know, been in the, the plans before the game. But like, if your game plan is a midfielder or a left back and your replacement for that midfielder or left back is the best left back you have at the club, even if he was 60, 70% fit, it shouldn't be that difficult to cope with. Like if your game plan could be undone by one injury in the warm-up, it suggests that maybe your game plan isn't as solid as you thought. Yeah, and um, before I answer that properly, it's worth acknowledging James James's part, James Gunnerblog's part in <laughs> in this. Having mentioned, like, I genuinely winced on the on last week's pod when he went, "Well, you know, as we know, Granite Shaka absolutely never gets injured." <laughs> James, absolutely leave it. Uh, it was marked from that point, but, right. but you're right. Um, I think something that Tim said about the attacking options that we have at the club, again, again, you look at the team sheet and you keep thinking, oh, yeah, all right. But one of the reasons why that is such a problem is because of the paucity of creativity in midfield. And that was that was Lane Bear yesterday with, um, obviously, with Thomas Partey trying to be a one-man midfield at a time when he himself is kind of struggling with, 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 mm. with form. So when you have a situation where his natural partner is already out of position and therefore we're going to suffer for him being um, playing in his hybrid position. Mm. Um, that's a real, that's a real, that was yesterday's, um, yeah, that was, that was laying bare yesterday. And the fact that Kieran Tini was, I mean, every time I, every time I saw him in, in their, in their half of the pitch, I was worried because he was clearly not, you know he's clearly not clearly not fit. He's clearly Kieran is going to kind of push through it. Mm. But the fact that you know you got Elneny's understandably not trusted. Sabios has has been a problem in that position, and we can't. There was no chance to attack properly because with, without David Luiz and Granite Xhaka in their normal positions, we're going to keep on having this problem. So, I guess to answer your question about if that's your only game plan. He's partially hampered by the players that are available to him, partially hampered by injury. But the fact that, as you say, the fact that this game plan is based around such specifics with players which who aren't in their natural position anyway, yes, of course it's flawed. There are so many... Um, there's so many factors, as I say, with injury and with and with with tiredness and with uh, and players being forced to play in different positions don't play in such a stringent, rigid way mm. if you don't have the personnel. And if you, the person that, yeah, and, and, and without any kind of plan B, with the, with the more instinctive players kind of shackled because of your system, then we don't have the players or the squad to, um, to have anything else apart from, um, we don't have the players unless everything goes absolutely perfect. And as, again, as Tim says, that we've craved this for ages. What you're kind of seeing now is like, you know, when Allardyce goes into a club, a relegation club or whatever, the conversation is right. Well, let's, you know, let's try and repair the, the first thing you do is try and repair the damage at the, that's been done. And guess what you're seeing with Arteta now? It's like when you've got like 
as we've all had in this lockdown, you've got loads of work to do. And instead of doing it, you think, well, I'll just, I'll just tidy the living room. <laughs> so that's the easy bit. We've, we've, we've stopped the goals coming in, but haven't done enough to win football matches as, as, as 13 defeats and um, all those draws early on in the season show. Tim, do you think like the, the, the players, I mean, is it, is it a question that Arteta is too controlling? I mean, we're speculating, obviously mm. we're only going on mm. what we're seeing, but you know, the, the, the reluctance of the manager to leave his team exposed is uh, directly, there's a direct correlation between that and the lack of attacking threat in that he won't give the players the license to go forward. I mean, he's always talked about scoring goals and trying to create an attacking team, but what he said and what he's done um, have been two different things. Like what he says he wants and what he then produces from his players on the pitch are, are directly opposite at times. Yeah, absolutely. He he does. He has my sympathy in in a number of ways. To be fair, like th- this is a, this squad is is better than this. But the problem with it isn't really just the talent level. It's just mm. such a, a hodgepodge of players who really don't fit together. And so he he kind of has my sympathy in terms of it's hard to leave the back door open <laughs> with Arsenal because we've seen what that gets us. Um, and to be fair, it's probably slightly better than this, but it's still not good enough. So we've kind of seen that. That that said, he did spend um, thirty million pounds on a central defender to kind of help us do that, and has now decided not to play him in the biggest anymore. game of the season yeah i mean this is yeah. this is this was his signing here's an edu signing this is the kind of game where you think okay look i know defense wasn't the issue we're not really talking about defense but it does speak mm. to uh, like a, a lack of coherence or cohesion in the recruitment side of things when your 30 million pound signing you know uh, who for a long time was our biggest signing of last summer can't get in the team for a european semi-final for a guy with all due respect to pablo marie like has been a, a journeyman who who went from Man City to the Eredivisie and to the Spanish second division and then to Brazil. Like his trajectory to a club like Arsenal has been unconventional to say the least. And I don't think he was a big problem or anything last night, but it does, no. it does, it is telling in another way. Yeah, exactly. Like two of the big signings from last summer in Gabriel and Willian um, weren't weren't trusted, weren't started. Um, and he took Aubameyang off. I'm sure we'll talk about that, but he took Aubameyang off after 80 minutes, which to me is the kind of decision a manager makes just before he's sacked when you go oh my god this guy has really lost it now well, it's, his, um, it's his rude Hullet and Alan Shearer moment right 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 well just expand on that because the, the the other side of that is that he's you know he's just come back from malaria he talks about you know how how wrecked he was I mean I I, I personally given how badly we were playing and the fact that the two big chances we had fell to Aubameyang, I would absolutely have left him on and then just said, we'll take a couple of weeks off here. Particularly when afterwards he talked about Alexandra Lacazette and said really all he had in him was 10 or 15 minutes. Like a, a guy coming back from a hamstring strain who's not like an impact sub or anything like that. That was a really odd decision for me. Yeah, absolutely. And and I kind of so first of all, I don't really see the di- that much difference between 80 minutes and 90 minutes. Yeah. If he'd taken a Bamiang off after an hour, you say all right, fair enough. But I mean, he played 76 minutes against Newcastle. 
Um, so he, surely he and and look in the in the circumstances which were absolute kitchen sink whole season mm. riding on this. I don't care if Abamyang's on fucking crutches. You keep <laughs> him in that penalty area. He's had your only chances. He is the only player. Um, who from open play produced any, any shots on target mm. across both legs and he only came on for the last few minutes of the second leg. So you, you absolutely keep him on, particularly when he's just hit the post. And I mean, when, <clears throat> we're probably not in the mood to go back and, and look at it in it triumphantly, but look at that second Aubameyang chance again. That is not That has not been put on his head. That's not, um, you know, the Benfica goal where Saka... Mm. Uh, puts in a brilliant cross and it's just on a plate that is he's got two guys marking him they both jump with him it's it's a decent cross from Hector Bellerin it's not an absolute give me that is a guy who is fighting tooth and nail to try and score a goal that is he's got up he's fought off two defenders to get that header in that like he he didn't look weak um, in that situation to me, and then, I mean, to compound it by bringing in Ketia on a few minutes later, I think exposes the extent to which there wasn't really a plan here. But it it just it's it beggars belief, really. Sometimes you don't need to think of it any more simply than he is our best goal scorer, and we really need a goal, <laughs> and. Look, we're in this position where we try to craft the perfect chance. And if you're going to do that, then Aubameyang's the guy you want in the area. So I I, I just found that absolutely unbelievable. And, and like you say, he didn't have to play again till May the 26th if we didn't want him to. If it was really mm. that draining or he could have had like a 10 minute run out in all of the Premier League games left. I just think like if last night was the final would he have done that if we let's say we go through to the final and there's 10 minutes to go and we're one nil down to Man United? Does he take Aubameyang off? Mm. I'm I'm not so sure. I, I think again it was just um, it was too clever by half. He kind of thought mm, I want to bring Lacazette on, but I must not change the formation. The formation must stay exactly the same, and therefore I've got to do a straight swap. And it's it's really symptomatic of his really poor substitutions um, and there's no sign of improvement there. I think um, what was so surprising is because, yeah, what was so baffling about that moment is that we've talked about a manager who is so rigid, which of course he is, but then the lack of any kind of attacking plan in that last 20, 25 minutes, including the substitution, including the players being thrown on is, 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 all the more baffling and had us all shouting at our screens yesterday. Um, going back to the attacking options that we had and going back to the fact that there was nothing on offer for them in the midfield. How, was, uh, the amount of touches, what is it? How many touches did Aubameyang have in the game? 14. 14. And Seven in each half and almost scored twice. So, we, we, uh, Which is bonkers. There was a point, there's a point where if there were fans in the ground... You, you'd, you'd hear that collective frustration as we as the players turned back to start again, like you know, turn mm. back in midfield and start again. You always used to hear that at, um, at, at home when there was that frustration. Adding to then the fact that we don't have the players on the pitch who can play from the back. The way that Arteta wants to play football is not in in sync with the players that he has. And the fact that he seems unable to change that is why um, is is why he seems so open o- open today. 
Emery yeah. didn't. I mean, Villarreal was were, were, were bang average, and yeah. we played them to the point where they were so they were comfortable. We you know we 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 had our time with Unai Emery, so we know that the second half was um, the second legs perfect for him. First of all, they they fluked their way to the first, they fluked their way to two nil up because we were so abject um, in the first in the first leg. So of course, then simple things like. Yes, they pressed fairly. You know, they pressed well. Mm. They talked. They talked it up a bit too much. I thought yesterday they just played like a decent football team with no attacking threat, and should have been put. Should have been at least tested a bit more yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying about the attacking side of things, but you know, it would be reasonable to say that, like, look, in the final twenty minutes, twenty five minutes, whatever it was, uh, you know, I think we can over over egg the pudding of tactics, if you like, and there is kind of one tactic when you're in a semi-final, when you have to score. Uh, I know it's probably not in the coaching manuals, but throw the fucking kitchen sink, uh, kitchen sink at it seems like a pretty good plan to me, Tayo. So, you know, when you have Aubameyang, when you've got Smith Rowe, when you've got Saka, when you've got Odegaard, when you've got Martinelli, uh, when you've got Pepe on the pitch, you know, you, you do have players who, if they're given some license or some freedom or some kind of structure even in, in which they can get the ball forward. Look, Villarreal were, were well organized. They pressed us well. We didn't really press them well in return. But, you know, that lack, as we talked about earlier, that lack of intensity, that lack of urgency, that lack of just something, you know, that desperation sometimes can be a tactic as well, where you make something happen by virtue of just like you're you're desperate, you know, you'll you'll try things, you'll you'll attempt things, you'll risk things. There was none of that. Yeah, do you know what? I think that I I genuinely think watching that yesterday, I don't think they knew how to throw the kitchen sink. At, yeah, I think that's right. At, at Villarreal yesterday. I just I genuinely don't think they knew how to, you know, occasion there'd be the odd long ball up from the back, which would sail out into touch. I mean, <clears throat> there was, we had in the first leg, obviously there's that Partey chance, mm. um, Partey ball, sorry, through to Aubameyang. Um, how important did we um, not know that would be? Or we actually probably did. But the, I, I can't think of any, I can't think of any like, kitchen sink type chance. I can't think of too many long balls into the box. I can't think of too many times where we had, you know, six attackers pressed on their but on 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 their eighteen yard line. Can you think of one? No. So I I don't know as players whether they seem tired, but they also just seem baffled. Mm. I, you know, if, if Saka's not gonna, if Saka's not gonna do what he's done far too many times this season, if um if a Smith Rowe first touch isn't like fashioning at least half a break between the lines. Mm. I, I didn't see anything. Yeah, I mean, it's all about momentum and building pressure and uh, applying pressure and, and keeping it going, Tim, which we never did and never mm. did in the two legs. You know, you can remember um, many times uh, under Arsene Wenger, for example, where we'd need a goal and, you know, literally we have camped in their half and we recycle the ball and we try and open them up and they clear it and we come back and we come back and we come back. We didn't always get a goal, but, you know, your chances of getting a goal are much, much higher um, when you play that way. And I can't remember really any occasion, not just this season, but since Mikel Arteta took over where we've been able to play in that way in games where we've needed goals, we've been tidy and what have you but there's never been that ability to to put pressure on teams and I think Villarreal it was obvious early on that 
they looked at what Saka did last week and they didn't let him do it again. They, you know, that, mm. that, that period in the, the second half of the first leg where Saka literally just tried to make something happen for us over and over and over again. And that kind of right hand channel he cut inside towards the box. And from there, he won the penalty. And there were other moments as well. They cut off that line. They cut off that, that space for him to, to work, uh, his, Magic is not the right word, but to, you know, to where he can be effective. So, you know, they were well organized, but we just don't appear to be able as a team to mount any serious pressure on the opposition for any sustained period in a game. No, and this is where um, that West Ham game is is a bit of an outlier and perhaps gave us uh, false hope at the time because that's one of the only times I remember us doing it at the point that we went 3-0 down Mm. there. Um, And it's difficult to separate in hindsight how much that was Arsenal and how much that was Erdegaard just having a bit of a blinder. Mm. Um, And I think we, you know, we should acknowledge, we have acknowledged the ways in which Arteta's, you know, been unlucky with injuries. Like he's, he's been, it's, it's a bit unfortunate to come into this period where um, Tierney, Aubameyang and Erdegaard, just as he looks like he's about to go supernova, gets injured. Like that is unfortunate. And I, I do think losing Xhaka was unfortunate, um, probably probably not so much for Arteta, but I think it was fortunate for Emery in that one of the things that Villarreal did really well was block up the wide areas, um, as you referenced there with Saka, mm. um, and actually probably having Tierney at left back instead of Xhaka played into that even more, because one of the things, we know that Emery does his homework, probably to a fault, but we know he'll, you don't have to watch Arsenal much to understand that Arsenal kind of empty the middle of the pitch. They always have done. They go out wide and he he was putting players there. I mean, I haven't seen the average position charts, but someone like Coquelin, I mean, Coquelin was almost playing like another fullback at times. Yeah. They, were, they were just really focused on blocking up those wide areas. And one of the reasons Smith Rowe was one of the few, possibly the only Arsenal player to stick out on the night was he was one of the few players who offered anything centrally. And it, it's, it's quite a weird pattern for a game to take because usually you would expect a team primarily wants to attack through the middle and when they can't do that they go out wide as a bit of a concession but what happened against Villarreal was Arsenal's plan A was to go wide and then they didn't really have a plan B when actually the, the centre of the pitch was probably um, a bit more of an enterprising avenue for them but mm. yeah th- this is this is an absolute season long problem and, and one of the one of the best ways I can think of to phrase it is how many half chances can you recall just thinking, you know, over, over the course of this season and Arteta's reign, there aren't many like half chances mm. and it, it's, it's all those kind of shots that flash over the bar or something like it. It's either it, you know, the, the choreographed plan works and we get a shot or it doesn't and we don't. And usually what good teams do, as you say, is, is the death by a thousand cuts stuff. And you look at the way Liverpool play, for example, their central midfielders don't actually score many more goals than ours. But what they do is they're really focused on picking up clearances. And if you 
if you watch, I mean, he might not be at Liverpool much longer, but someone pointed out to me about a year ago, when you watch Liverpool, watch every clearance where it goes, it just goes to Wijnaldum every time. It's uncanny. And when you notice it, you can't unnotice it because Liverpool really work on this basis of keeping teams under pressure. Mm. And Wijnaldum's job is not to score goals. It's I'm going to pick up the clearance and then I'm going to give it again to Salah or Robertson or whoever. And we just don't have that. And it just, it doesn't cause any stress. And, you know, we, a lot of us spoke before this game saying kind of, yeah, Emery, it's Emery. He's going to go for the nil-nil. Um, almost kind of mockingly, which I understand because usually I wouldn't advise that. But actually coming to the Emirates at the moment, I think it's, it's not difficult to get a nil-nil. Uh, no, I mean, considering it's, uh, what is it, a club record, 10 games this season at home without scoring, Tayo. So this is, a, this is a, a bigger issue. You know, I think we've kind of done the game itself at this point mm-hmm. and we need to, to broaden this out and start talking about what the consequences of this might be. And I think they're obvious from a football point of view, aren't they? That, you know, we, um, the last chance of any tangible success or, or making this season in any way acceptable uh, lay on last night's game and it fell by the wayside um, like Tim's their death by a thousand cuts um, Arsenal death by 11 cunts but that's, that seems a bit harsh on <laughs> on some of the kids uh, who I really felt sorry for last night you know Smith Rowe did play with bravery and Saka has, uh, has played really well this season and everything else so you know where where in the annals of recent history does this season sit for you? I mean, this is going back to the nineties uh, in terms of uh, where we are and how far below expectations it is. The last time we were this bad, I guess I was I was in my early twenties and we had Ian Wright, so I still managed to. I think I still managed. I think I still managed to enjoy it. The thing to say this time is that, um, and I'm not just being pithy by saying that because there was still an enjoyment and excitement going to the games mm. still because something was going to happen. Plus, we were, you know, um, yeah, because you know we had we had my favourite player and we had a decent back four kind of thing. The, the excitement here is the fact that we do have the excitement here is is is, is Saka and Smithrow, um, Martinelli. And, and Martinelli and um but this has been the beigest most disappointing season because every nothing nothing's happened anymore. I mean there was almost like a, there's there was a weird um certainly didn't enjoy it, but the Emery stuff there was there was a weird there's always been a weird kind of how far how bad can it get before it gets better again? Mm. And here it, it feels like um a very long road. I mean we're talking about a club we have, you know, these kind of "quote unquote" Bank of England, Bank of England values, and having had a legacy manager, I think you mentioned it this morning. Actually, having had a legacy manager for so long, there is the intent to try and do that again. But we're trying to operate with kind of again, it's this dual Arsenal personality. We're trying to operate with kind of the Arsenal. We're trying to operate in an Arsenal way with a with a with with a board and a structure higher than the manager which has done everything contrary to that Mm. so stasis um and inertia seems to have kind of gripped the club and gripped my feeling about the club at the moment where do you think this leaves Mikel Arteta Tim um you know 
under normal circumstances, a manager at a club like Arsenal who presides over 13 Premier League defeats, team is in mid-table, not going to qualify for Europe, has gone out of Europe at the semi-final stage, not in any kind of heroic, valiant way, but in a really insipid, tepid way to a manager who the club sacked 18 months previously. You know, Mm. it's, it's very difficult to make a case that the current manager could survive something like that. Um, and I'm not making a case for that either. I'm just trying to to put it in context. Is there anything to be said for the the circumstances at, at Arsenal being markedly different from any other club to provide some mitigation for that? Uh, in that, look, everybody's had to deal with COVID. Everybody's had to deal with financial uh, restrictions. Everybody's had to deal with no preseason. Everyone's had to deal with injuries and and those kind of things. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but no club has had to deal with the Wenger thing, the Gazidis thing, the Mislintat thing, the Sanyehi thing, um, the the various issues that 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 Arsenal have had to deal with. Like I feel. Like, I wanted it to work for Arteta badly. I feel Mm. like his heart is in the right place. I really feel like he's a genuine, he genuinely wants to do a good job for the club. I think he absolutely nailed some of the problems that we have or identified some of those problems. You know, there was, there was a need to get rid of some of the messers and the chancers that we had at the club. And he's done some of that with the backing of the board, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we can all see that there's a rebuilding. Uh, job needing to be done but but you have to be able to do that as well as produce acceptable at a minimum acceptable results mm. on the pitch and that's where we have the issue yeah absolutely so th- there's two sides to this i think in terms of arsenal haven't supported him um, and that's that's somewhere where he really has my sympathy. It's really clear. It was really clear at the time, not even in hindsight. This kind of promoting him to manager thing was, uh, we've given up on the whole structure thing. Yeah. So we're just we're just really hoping that you really are brilliant and we can just let you run everything. That's it. Um, I mean, they asked him to manage not just the team but the the, the club. Yeah. The, the entire. They made him the manager of the club. Um, maybe off the back of his good ideas or, or you know, the, the vision that he sold them. But, you know, in hindsight, um, you know, that's way too much for a guy of his inexperience to have to deal with. Way, way too much. And it's it's a real, like, the Arsenal job is a difficult job at the moment. It's not impossible, but it's difficult because... the. The, the thing the thing was trying to judge Arteta, right, was we never appointed him on the manager. He is, but the manager we thought he could be. Mm. And we were kind of betting on the next big thing. And I had sympathy for that because I kind of thought we had to do that. Really, the only two choices, appealing choices on the market at the time, were taking that risk with Arteta or going for someone like Ancelotti, who a lot more experienced, but probably on the downslide in terms of his career. I don't think he's done amazing things at Everton. So I can see why we eschewed that option and there wasn't a lot else out there. So I do understand why they thought, okay, let's gamble on on the next big thing. And we know this guy um, and he knows the club, et cetera, et cetera. So I I do have some, I can see the decision-making and I was broadly supportive of it at the time. But the, the lack of support um, you know, inside the club. Like Arsenal is a very young 
club, um, even at executive level, um, Per Mertesacker, et cetera, et cetera. So he hasn't been given the level of support. And then, you know, really alarm bells are ringing when he's being asked to negotiate pay cuts with players and things like that. And that that is a leadership vacuum right there. Um, that should be Stan and Josh Kroenke doing that, uh, <laughs> let alone Vinay or Edu. But the manager doing it, that is really pushing down. That is that is delegation to the extreme. That should not. That is not within his pay grade, regardless of his level of experience. That is not his job at all. And that's real alarm bells ringing when he's being asked to do stuff like that. And so he, he really has my sympathy there. I do also think, though, he hasn't supported himself I this is pop psychology and I could be completely wrong, but something um, something Jens Lehmann said, and I know the words something Jens Lehmann said this week um, are, are particularly sensitive, but I'm not referring to that incident. But something he said a few months ago um, he, when he was talking when Arteta's stock was a bit higher and he said it seems to be a lot about him. And I've had that feeling as well. I feel like Arteta is trying to project the image of a good coach and that he really wants the reputation. Um, and, and to some extent, he already had that reputation as a great manager in waiting. And I think he, he really wanted that and he really wanted to drive through some of that, which is why some of his communication, the way he presents himself, projects himself, et cetera, et cetera. Like he'd give a cracking PowerPoint. I've got absolutely no <laughs> no doubts about that whatsoever. And, and that's like that's important. Communication's important. But I, I just feel like he's got too wrapped up in the projecting the image of a good coach rather than, you know, taking lots of shots on goal and winning football games and things like that. And and when it came to appointing backroom staff, um, I, I had this really fleeting moment and I never verbalised it and I really regret it because <laughs> when he was first appointed, I think I'm right in saying that David Moyes was, was out of a job and I thought... I wouldn't mind bringing Moyes into the coaching staff just to have like that bit of experience around him. And, and, and instead he kind of went for guys who I, I don't doubt are good coaches, but I don't see a lot of challenge there, you know, and I don't see, you know, his issue with substitutions, for example, it's completely understandable that he has that issue, the guys around him have never managed either. They've never had to make substitutions. They've never had to manage like um, a situation like Ozil or Genduzi or something like that. And then do you remember last summer he brought in some admittedly lower level coaching staff mm. and they're all in their 20s? And that I, I thought, hmm, that's that's a bit I'm making myself the big man at this club. And I, fe I just feel like he's gotten too kind of wrapped up in the – I need to project the image of authority, the image of success. And he's actually forgot about doing the things that give you authority and success. And some of that is deferring. Some of that is admitting your weaknesses and surrounding yourself with um, with people who, who kind of, who help you with those weaknesses. And the example I'd give is Bertie Mee, right? We appointed Bertie Mee, who's the physio. And the first thing he did was he went, he went and got Dave Sexton. Then he got Don Howe because he was like, I'm not a coach. That's not what I'm here for. I need to bring in a coach to really kind of bring that up. And I really, really feel he was a, maybe a bit too proud to bring in that level of experience around him. And I am sure when he looks back in five, 10 years, 20 years, whatever, whatever happens with his coaching career, I'm sure he'll say, hmm, I, I regret 
not swallowing my pride a little bit and perhaps bringing in more of that experience around me. But then again, maybe that should be the club's job. And I think, well, you just ended what I was going to start with. And I think, I think he's been allowed to think like that because of the laziness and the hands-off approach at executive level. So you've got a combination of a guy who's come across extremely confidently, which we've all, which we all bought into it at first. And he's, and because of the hands-off approach of the Cronkies um, and because of the dismantling of a team around him, because of the promotion to him as manager, they've almost kind of, they also want to believe the facsimile that he's put out, that he's totally in control and totally comfortable. It's easier for them to be able to say, well, this guy's projecting him. Like, I mean, Unai Emery felt like you could, that he could be walked over from, from, from higher up. Arteta doesn't give off that image. And that first of all projects very well for us uh, at first when things were going better um, and now becomes a problem. Like having gone from, having talked so much about taking the power away from one man who controlled the club for 20 odd years, mm. having uh, an executive structure, which is just, which we've watched just fall apart over the last two years, two years, three years. We watched that mm. struck from Gazidis to everyone leaving to San Leahy leaving to, to the problems with Mislintat and so forth. We've now gone back to a situation where they're trying to hand over the running of a club to one man. And guess what? This one man, before he got to us, hadn't managed a football team before and is now being asked to do everything with all the stuff going on in the background and isn't provided and doesn't have the results or the person, the results, the talent or the personality to be the shield that the previous legacy manager had. And uh, that's that's one of the biggest problems at the club. The fact that there's no one around for that, as you say, Tim, with the younger coaches, there's no one around for a check and a balance anymore. I mean, Tayo, even even when he was made the manager, September last year, where they appointed him manager, promoted him to manager from head coach, and the technical director is Edu, and it felt a little bit at the time, considering Edu's close relationship with. Uh, Raul Sanyehi and what had come before, that he was a little bit lucky to hang on to his job. To me, anyway. Um, and in promoting Arteta as manager, you consolidate the football power and knowledge, in inverted commas, in one man. This The manager should not be uh, the boss of the technical director at a football club manager slash head coach, you know, the guy who's in charge of the team, you know, the technical director should be putting in place the pieces, the transfers, you know, the 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 kind of players that we're going to bring in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because like managers come and go. Technical director could stay there for five, 10, 15 years, but managers, head coaches come and go. So the technical director's job is to put in places the the the, the pieces for a manager or a head coach to, to work with within the structures that you as a club define. So how do you want to play? What kind of players do you want? How do you fit those players into the formation, et cetera, et cetera? But what we got was a situation where basically it felt like Edu was not quite Arteta's lapdog, but he was very much second fiddle to Arteta. And now you have a situation where the manager, the guy in whom you've invested all this power and all this trust is the guy who is right now, and and rightly so because of everything that's come, the one who's most under pressure. So you have this weird skewed dynamic where the guy who's under pressure 
is also the guy who you have basically handed the reins of running the football club to, who who fires themselves, you know? It's, yeah, we've we've got it ass backwards, as you said, which yeah. is why, which is which is what makes I think this morning or these current weeks so poignant because the reason why Arteta is more under threat than perhaps he would be, if you want to talk about the process, if you want to talk about the kind of season that we've had, um, that, that football's had and the problems that are around. The reason why there's a bit more pressure around is because he has assumed this responsibility because it has been handed over Mm. because there isn't the protection there where you say, look, this is a, this is a man who's worked under difficult circumstances at a difficult time and is doing his best because of the extra responsibility that my friends is why he's in more of the firing line today. Mm. And that's why he's got to accept it. And of course, look, he did, you know, he, he accepts his job. He accepts his jobs under threat. And he said that yesterday, but he's also said <laughs> like a man who knows that he's got more say in this than, 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 than perhaps he should do. Hmm. So yeah, we just got we've got everything upside down, and the club have also weirdly backed him with we said with the signing of Willian, with the thirty million spent on Gabriel. on um, on Gabriel, but it is also on him with the treatment of our other massive outlay at centre half Saliba, and that and and and, and the issues there and. The not trust and and not trusting big players, but also not having um, a a great solution for it on the other side. So he's more in the firing line because 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 of these kind of enhanced position at the club. Tim, I mean, look, Arteta's job. I I personally I don't think they're going to make a change. I could be wrong. I could be surprised, but I don't think they're going to make a change. Having done what they did in January by sort of backing him and saying, "Look, we need to get rid of these guys. We need rid of Ozil and Mustafi and Socrates and uh, whoever the hell else, Kalasinac, that little coterie on the training ground." He felt it wasn't um, positive. They backed him and they got rid of that. And they backed him with Partey. They backed him with Gabriel. You know. Um, so I would be surprised, but is is not the biggest issue the uh, the the executive structure at the club? Mm-hmm. In that we know that the Cronkies are absentees, we we know that. Um, but but this all boils down to that absenteeism and their inability to do their due diligence. And to go through the right kind of, I hate to use the word, processes to put people in charge of their football club. Like, you know, literally, when Gazidis decided to fuck off to AC Milan, they he said, Sanya, he's a good guy, put him in charge. And they went, okay, because you said so. Rather than saying, well, you know, hang on, let's have a think about this. Who is the best person that we could put in charge of our football club? Who is the best person to be you know, the technical director or the sporting director or or what have you, to sort of take on board a holistic approach to this rebuilding of the football club. And I think that that that's sort of where I come back to where you have some sympathy for Arteta, and I think I do too, in that he recognizes the issues and he recognizes the flaws and he's taken on the responsibility. And it's it's probably too much too soon for a guy of his age, of his relative inexperience. But what he saw was, well, there's nobody else. There's nobody else to do this work, and I'll try my best to do it. And I think he's been caught between two stools in some ways. And again, this isn't to defend the results or anything that we've had on the pitch. And, you know, 
the the big problem is that the 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 executive structures at the football club like if you say tomorrow Arteta's gone who's making the decision who's making the yeah. decision to like what do we do now do we have a technical do we have a technical director who was complicit in one of the worst signings that we've ever made in Willian you know the, this this is not a healthy football club right now leaving aside no. the Arteta thing no absolutely and um there's only four things that need to be changed at Arsenal. Um, the owners, <laughs> the execs, the manager and the players. And um, if we do all that, we'll be fine. <laughs> which, which you know, I say that jokingly, but it's kind of true. And really, you'd like to change those one at a time and you'd like to be able to do it mm. all overnight. Um, but we, we probably accept that the owners aren't going anywhere. I don't think I personally don't see that this Daniel Ek um, bid is going to cut any water at all. So, yes, the, the, then it becomes about the executive um, layer of the club. And, and with all of this, where that I think the situation we're in is just throwing enough shit at the wall until some sticks, because we know that Josh Kroenke and Stan Kroenke do not have the expertise. That Stan Kroenke is not really interested. Josh Kroenke... Um, Look, Josh Kroenke is rich because of inherited wealth. It's not anything he did. Um, and I think that shows, really, um, to be honest. Like, I, I don't particularly think, um, you know, I, I'm not majorly impressed by him. Um, so what we've what we've got to hope is that they get lucky and that they just eventually maybe get this right. Um, whether that be through the right execs or the right manager. When you look at the technical director appointment, I mean, not a lot of imagination there. It's like, well, Monchi, he's the biggest name um, in this role. Let's let's try and get him. Um, and he's only actually worked at one, like properly worked at one club. So, that you know, there's not really any guarantee that he'd have been any good at Arsenal. And then they didn't get him. And it's like, well, Edu used to play for us, didn't he? Um, Invincibles, everyone loves them. Let's Let's put him in. So... You know, you can follow the thinking there. And, and yeah, and, you know, uh, Tayo used the word stasis there. And, and it's a real, I don't know about everyone else, I've been feeling like a real existential issue over the last few weeks with the kind of rebirth of the Cronky out protests because we're protesting about getting rid of the owners and I want rid of the owners because I, I think they're shit at this. Um, they're just not very good at running, not even football clubs. They don't run their sports clubs very well at all. Mm. And um, and a lot of Stan Kroenke's wealth is inherited as well, by the way. So um, you know, not not perhaps the business brain that everyone might think, but but then it's kind of then Daniel Ek comes in, and you think, well, do I want him really? Do I would just want? And you know, we've talked about this to death, really. That kind of well, who do I want running the club? I don't really know. And it, it's kind of that that feeling of existential torpor that actually even getting rid of the Cronkies, as unlikely as that is, is really only part of the battle, because then it, then it's like, well, who comes in? And and I feel the same at exec level because we don't have that expertise in the club. I mean, we could sack Edu tomorrow, and I, again, I don't think he could complain. Like just from a pure business perspective, in any other business. You know, even a semi-engaged owner would would rock up and say, "Say, mm. I see your 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 spend. You know, you convinced us to spend two hundred grand a week on Willian, and um, I don't know a lot about football, but I can <laughs> see he scored zero goals this season. What the fuck are you doing with with the club's money?" Yeah. Um, even a semi-engaged owner might consider that you know bordering on a sackable offence. 
but then like who like who the hell are they going to appoint and it's the same with arteta right it's it's exactly the same like i i think he he can't have any complaints if he's sacked this morning he really can't and i think no. he knows that but then who the hell do we get in afterwards and and who the hell has the level of expertise to to tempt someone, um, you know, to say, hi, our club's a complete tyre fire. We've been in decline for years now. We don't even have Europe next season. Um, our squad's a complete mess. Who wants to come and manage us? Uh, and by the way, because we don't have Europe next year and everyone's season tickets are so much cheaper, we don't even have that much money for you. Like, it's not a great sell, even if we had great brains. So it's. Uh, I'm sorry that's not a particularly cheery answer, but... It really like it really feels a bit it feels a bit like the game, right? It feels like yes. you know, Pepe's gonna have to smash one in from thirty yards or Abamyang's gonna have to produce something out of nothing. That's how I feel about the exec level of the club. Like, you know, someone's just gonna have to pull a rabbit out of a hat almost by accident. It also felt like um you mentioned the game. <clears throat> watching the club was like watching the game yesterday in the sense in the sense of feeling powerless thinking seeing that really obvious things aren't being done and we have nothing to do about and we that we have nothing that we can do about it i guess that was what was encouraging <clears throat> excuse me about the um protest the other week i can't help <clears throat> i can't help thinking back to um like the little shareholders that we used to have one of them who um you know people who had one share two shares mm. and that was such a big, you know, that, that was such a big deal for them. Um, someone I do a podcast with, of course, Alan was one of those. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and we were talking, I remember how disappointed he was at just having that symbolism taken away. And when those, you know, when, when our club was bought lock, stock and barrel by, uh, by the Americans and the, the, the way that fans, no longer have nothing, anything to, it's almost like they're saying it's not nothing to do with you mm. anymore. And it, and it, and it really feels like that. And I'm, I mean, I'll be making a podcast about, um, um, about the Knicks, New York Knicks at the moment. And any of our American viewers will recognize the problems with one of their owners, James Dolan. And, um, if you, if you're a basketball fan, and I always used to wonder, maybe because we had that shield before of, um, of, of, our, of Arsene Wenger, to think that what a difference that ownership can make and how it has eroded the quality and the values at the club. And I, 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 if you want to see it kind of writ large looking, you can, you see, you've seen that in American sports and you've seen people talking about American owners before. And I mentioned James Stone and the New York Knicks. Um, we are seeing that with our own club now, where as a result of the kind of torpor and inertia at the top, there's this um, complete um, erratic um, appointments and um, administration at exec level, which has come down to management level, which we're now seeing every day mm. or every week on the pitch. It really has started from the top. And I, 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 I was, I'm surprised that it has come so far up. Like, if you want to talk about trickle down, this definitely this torpor has trickled down from from the very top to what we to what we saw last night. Tim, I mean, is it unreasonable for me to suggest that, given their experience in sporting uh, club slash franchise ownership, 
and business as a whole. Mm. And the ability, uh, you know, KSE uh, and all the associated businesses and and, um, Kroenke's uh, property businesses and everything else, I'm sure have very smart, intelligent people running them at a profit to make money. So is it not beyond the realms of possibility that, you know, there are people out there, there are experts in football and football club consultancy and executive consultancy that Arsenal and KSE, um, let's be clear, this is on them, Mm. could put in place a, a, a hiring process. You know, they could get executives, they could get consultants to make recommendations and do interviews and do all the things that normal people have to do to get jobs. I know football is a weird and strange industry and there's a lot of like, well, this guy knows this guy and he's good, so bring him in or, you know, well, he's available, so we'll just get that guy. But there's no reason why those kind of processes can't work at a football club if you're so inclined to make them. No, indeed. And I mean, I guess one thing they did, they appointed Tim Lewis, right? And uh, how long after that did did Raul Sanyehi pack up his desk? And they are bringing Uh, in um, Richard Garlic Garlic. to the executive team. Quite what he's going to do, I don't know. But, you know, there is some football experience there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they are appointing people. They're just (laughs) not appointing the right people. And we hope that, um, I mean, I don't think Tim Lewis is going to turn us into title challengers or anything, but we can but hope that they're the right people. But uh, like, absolutely, absolutely. That that is the, the absolute bare minimum due diligence you would do is to say, okay, we don't really know this sport. You know, we own a load of US sports and they're set up in a certain way. They're set up in a way that enable owners to make lots of money. And, uh, you know, the really worrying thing is that the Cronkies have already shown their hand with the Super League thing. Mm. That I mean, I mean that, that's been obvious for a long time, I think, anyway. But they've shown their hand that their plan was never to try and turn Arsenal into a competitive team. It was to try and make the game less competitive. That's, um, you know, that, that's what billionaires tend to do, right? They take the money, then they change the rules of the game. Mm. And, and that, that was their end game. We can see that now. Well, I think we always saw that, but we know it for a fact now. I, I guess the only um, hope that we have, if they're serious about building bridges with supporters again, this is an ideal opportunity to look engaged again, to look busy, you know, to look like you're doing something. This is a very critical moment um, for them it, in terms of whether they care about fan opinion. I, I, I just don't think they do. I don't believe a word that comes out of uh, Josh Crank. Josh Cronkey's mouth. No words come out of Stan Cronkey's mouth, so there's no issue of trust with what he says there because he didn't say anything. So th- this would at least be an opportunity. Like if if they're actually serious about even turning the tide of fan opinion, th- this is a real um, this is a real opportunity for them. You know, this is an opportunity for them to say right. And I'm not necessarily advocating for them to make populist moves that just look like they're doing something, but they could just go, right, okay, ninth, out of the Europa League semi-final, not good enough. We're setting the standard now. That is not good enough for Arsenal. You get sacked. That's the end of it. We want to do much better. Um, 
what they but but none of us expect that do we no. we all expect them to just go mm, yeah well we'll just see how it goes like we always do and yeah. then we'll probably just wait until it's too late and everything's on fire and um in ashes on the ground and then we'll you know maybe we'll turn on a water hose after that yeah. it's a series so about, a series of rock lucky. bottoms yeah time talk about getting you talk about getting lucky with a pepe 30 yarder they might get lucky with the with Hayland. We mm. might get lucky because um, instead of two hundred million, which they would never magic up anyway, we've 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 got that in our ranks. Yeah, I mean the other side of that is that they might look at Hayland as a way of offsetting some of the financial impact of you know this season and what's happening. So I don't necessarily want to go down that road because that's even more depressing than I thought. But look. Uh, it is what it is. Look, I've kept you guys too long today, um, and I really appreciate you being here. I was going to maybe say, look, is there any reason or any hope for optimism? But I think that can wait for another day. We've gone full doom on here, and we can, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, what, what I'll tell you, Andrew, is that obviously they're in the process of hiring a new manager for the women's team, and I'll keep a close eye on that because that, for me, is a big litmus test of their competence. Yeah. And there are good choices and there are bad choices they can make, and we'll find out in the next couple of weeks. And, um, you know, may, maybe that will confirm our suspicions or maybe it will give us a beacon of hope. All right. Well, look, we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, we all look forward, I'm sure, to the game against West Brom on Sunday where we don't even have Ainsley playing to make it interesting. But what can you do? Tayo, thank you very much indeed, as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. And Tim, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure as always. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Thank you very much indeed to Tayo. You can find him on Twitter at DJ Tayo, at DJ Tayo, and Tim is at Stilberto, as I'm sure you know. Right. I think we're going to leave it there. I'm all talked out. I don't know what more I can say. I don't know what uh, fresh opinion I can offer on anything at this point. Need a little bit of time to just sort of let things uh, digest and then come out the other end in whatever form they're going to come out. We do have a game on Sunday. We will try and preview it on Patreon. I'm not quite sure how we're going to do that yet, but look... Uh, we're in it for the good times and the bad times. These are some bad times, my friends. Uh, but look, we'll do our best. We'll do our best to provide some kind of preview podcast uh, tomorrow on Patreon. It will not be today. Um, 
As ever, look, thank you very much indeed for listening. I'm, I can't even be asked to do an end bit for this particular episode. It is uh, beyond me. I'm, uh, you know, I just don't, I can't, uh, you know, what, what, how, why, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, thank you, as always, for being here. Thank you for listening. Thanks for your support and all your comments and tweets and everything else. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this, despite the fact it's been far from the cheeriest podcast we've ever done. And it is a long, long way from the kind of podcast I was hoping we'd be able to do today, uh, given that we could have reached a European final last night. Okay, listen, I'm going to leave it there. Until the next one, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.